0: Thank you, Byron and the worship team. That was really great. Hoping that after all of those exalties, I've got some voice left for the sermon. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bryce, and I'm on staff here at SBC. And for this week, what we're going to be doing is we are pushing pause on our Holy Spirit series that we've been going through uh, for today's sermon. And then remember, next week, Sunday, we have got um, Celebration Sunday. So there's only going to be one service at nine o'clock. After that, we are going to continue with our Holy Spirit series. I'm pretty sure we, we all hate load shedding. If you listen carefully, you'll be able to hear the drone of the generator going on in the background. And it's usually as the lights go off, as load shedding happens, that these urges begin to rise up within us. The urge to have coffee, for example, uh, the urge to make a nice warm meal for yourself. They all come as load shedding happens, and that's when you realize that we should have boiled the kettle and done all of those things. But when load shedding comes and the sun is down, it is then that you begin to realize that your first and greatest need is for there to be light. You, you will realize that God has gifted us with shins that are really good at finding furniture in the dark. And so we, we usually, as soon as the lights go out, we grab the closest form of light that we have be that a cell phone, a torch, which now gets placed strategically all over the house. But we use that one form of light, and then what do we do? We go through our whole house, setting up candles and torches to make sure that we don't hurt ourselves or wound ourselves on our own property. And I'm going to be preaching this morning on the light of the gospel, because what happens is so often people end up living in a situation like that, where spiritually they are living in the dark. And they are spiritually wounding themselves because they do not come to the light of this world, which is Jesus Christ. And So that's what we're going to be looking into this morning. So you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 to 9. And I will be reading this is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. So that leads me to my first point for this morning, And that is point number one, the light of the gospel. We're going to be focusing on verse six for that. When Paul goes and he mentions, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. What Paul is doing here is he is referring all the way back to original creation. He is wanting us to look at our own salvation and to see that there are parallels in our salvation and parallels to when God created uh, everything. And so this is one of those Lion King moments, you know, in the Lion King where Rafiki, the wise old monkey, is trying to teach uh, Simba a lesson. He says to Simba, come, 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 look at this pool of water. Look deeper, Simba, look deeper. And poor Simba doesn't quite get it, and so he gets cracked over the head with Rafiki's staff. Paul is like Rafiki here telling us, guys, look deeper at your salvation. Do you realize what an incredible miracle it is that your soul lives for and loves and knows Jesus? Jesus. Do you realize that none of us saved ourselves? In fact, the, the parallels are astounding. Paul goes and he points back and he says, remember in the beginning there was God. He was preexistent, completely eternal both ways. And God didn't have a lot to work with. We're told that the, the earth was without form. It was void. There was darkness over the face of the deep. And Paul would say that we were Uh, that darkness. In Ephesians 5 verse 8, he doesn't mince his words. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so Paul starts off by saying, remember in the beginning it was without form, it was void, it was dark, just like your heart. But that didn't stop God. And that didn't stop God's creative powers from moving forward so that when God goes and he says, let there be light, instantly light springs into existence. And the first part of God's creation is separating light from darkness, just as he did in our hearts at one stage. Where God goes and he says, into your heart, the darkness of your heart, regardless of how bad it is, let there be light. And all of a sudden we go, this is right and this is wrong because of what God has said. And then in the the process of God first creating light, he begins to create all other physical things in the beginning of creation. And he shapes and he forms and he molds and he uses these things to, to be placed into the image of what he wants them to be. And then spiritually what he does in our hearts is he goes and he shapes and he molds our hearts so that we are made more and more into the image of Christ. It's this beautiful, glorious process of God creating us into the image of Christ. And this creation narrative flows through the book of 2 Corinthians. So you see, today we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In the very next chapter, there's a very well-known verse, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, which says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul is saying that your old way of Life, your old way of being void and formless and shapeless and not representing Christ is gone. And it has been replaced with this beautiful, glorious image of Christ living in and through you. It's amazing. And Jesus goes and he says that he is the light of, this, of the world. You see, this, this uh, gospel of life that goes and changes and transforms us is not some abstract thing. It is Jesus Christ himself entering the life of the believer. And so Jesus, when he goes and he says, I am the light of the world, there's a very particular context that he said it in. What would happen is in Jerusalem, God's people, the Jews and Israelites, would remember how God had brought them out of Egypt, but he had led them for 40 years in the wilderness with a pillar of flame by night and a cloud by day. And that pillar of flame had led them into the promised land. And so his people, when they were finally in Jerusalem, would celebrate that. They'd celebrate God's goodness and they would do it by creating this large torch and they would carry it through the cities and they'd celebrate that God did this for them, the Israelites. And as they get to the end of their track, they would go and they would extinguish this light. And it is at this point that Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. I am not just the light of the Israelites or of the Jewish nation. I am the light of the whole entire world. Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will hear of the glory of our Jesus Christ. and That is the one who we get to walk alongside with. My second point for this morning is, we have this treasure, but it is in jars of clay. You'll see in verse 7, Paul goes and he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This treasure that Paul is speaking about here is the treasure of you living in relationship with Jesus. The fact that you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, sanctifying you, molding you more and more into the image of Christ. He says, that's the treasure. In a world where we place huge emphasis on how we look and how we dress, and many people in this context would be trying to paint their their little jar of clay on the outside, Paul says, no, no, that is worthless compared to the incredible treasure of knowing the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He says that is the treasure, not, not our personalities, not our character, but how much we reflect Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. And many people go through their life trying to preserve this jar of clay. But Paul tells us here that your jar of clay is going to be smashed to pieces. He says it's going to, it'll take many different forms. It could look like severe financial difficulties. It could look like relationship or marital strains and issues. It could be people gossiping, speaking terribly about you behind your back, or a loved one slowly dying of cancer or somebody taken away from you suddenly. Paul acknowledges that all of those things will happen in life, and it will smash this jar of clay that you're holding on He says, but the reason all this happens is that God might be glorified because the real treasure exists inside the jar of clay. See, if I had a jar of clay about the size of this pulpit up here, you would not know what is inside it. It could be completely filled with solid gold, but you don't see that treasure shining and radiating outwards unless we smash that jar of clay to pieces. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that as these hardships come at you in life, and they will come, you can know, rest assured, that Jesus Christ walks with you through those situations that the treasure of this light of the gospel is just radiating out of your and my brokenness. That's why we can stand with the psalmist. In Psalms chapter 73, verse 25 and 26, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. The psalmist is under no illusions that his body is going to last forever. He says these things, physically what we have is going to waste away. It is going to be absolutely crushed, but my portion is in heaven. The one who I'm hoping in and trusting in is Jesus Christ. He's a a treasure that can never be stripped away from me, which means that even if worse comes to worst, and I die, we're told in Romans 8 that even that doesn't separate you from the love of Christ. And I want to tell you a story this morning about my gran. My gran is a godly lady, and she, she went to the doctor one day, and they found out that her stomach was riddled with cancer. There was not much hope, and she began to go through chemo session after chemo session. And we saw this person who we loved greatly change very quickly. Her hair fell out, her skin changed color, she became a lot smaller. And through all of this, we were praying for her, saying, God, please just let her stay. We love her. She's a Christian. She loves you. Would you please just let her stay? Somehow, my gran was a lot more okay than the rest of our family were with going to meet Jesus. And the one day they went and they did another scan on her and they said, we are so sorry. There's nothing we can do. We can't really put you through more chemo. She's got about two months left to live. And they put her in a ward that night. And in this ward was one other person who was an atheist. And the light of the gospel that was in my grand's heart was shining outwards and there was a hope about her that didn't make sense to the rest of the world and to this atheist. And so my grand witnessed to them. And that person became a Christian that night and died the next morning. Intercepted at the perfect moment. God had worked all things together for His good and for His glory. Miraculously, my grand then lived for another three years after that, before she went home to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what I couldn't stop hearing during those three years? Brass, I would do it all again if it meant I could play a part in just leading one more person to know Jesus. That is what Paul is speaking about here. Your jar of clay can be crushed to pieces outwardly wasting away. Your bodies are not going to last forever. But there is this light of the gospel that gives you an eternal perspective which changes the way that you live your life, the way that you value things, the way that you can look at a potentially hopeless situation and say, no, in this situation there is hope. I am looking towards eternity. And as you do that, you'll find that the rest of the people around you start to go, there is something different about this person. What is the hope That they carry within them. And the hope is Jesus Christ himself. May we as Christians not live in such a way that we try and get to heaven with a full jar of clay. We want that jar of clay to be crushed so that it might glorify God and bring many to know Jesus. My third and final point for today is that knowing Jesus gives us an endurance. Paul goes and he starts off by saying the light of the gospel is what has penetrated our hearts. The light of the gospel is what has given us um, light. It has guided us. But it means also that you are going to look very different from the rest of the world. You are going to look different in what you value, how you speak, how you walk and talk. And because of that, the world is not going to like you. Now he has to go into detail on this because the Corinthian church is one of the very few churches that didn't really face persecution. And it's strange, but the, one of the reasons why that is is because they looked so similar to the rest of the world. And so Paul says, as you grapple with the light of the gospel, changing and transforming who you are permanently, you are going to find that the world will not like you. They are not going to agree with you. And so he says these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8-9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. If I was to get the most from these two verses, what we need to do is dissect and digest. You know, if you have a beautiful T bone steak, you shouldn't put the whole thing in your mouth at once. Shouldn't. So, what we're going to do is we're going to dissect these verses and see what we can. What we can digest from here. Firstly, he says, afflicted in every way, but not crushed. He says there are going to be moments in your life where it feels like every single thing around you is just hemming you in. And not in the nice, comfortable way, like where God hems you in and protects you from all sides. It's as though there are spears from all sides and the enemy is attacking you. And what he does is he will attack the things that you value most in your life. And usually that all happens at the same time. The reason why he does this is because he wants you to question the goodness of God. In these situations, he wants you to go, God, why am I going through this situation? Why are you allowing this into my life? What you need to know, Christian, is that the light of the gospel draws our eyes to Jesus and says, this is not the end. You are afflicted on every side, but you are never crushed. You see, what what faith will teach you in moments like this is that as things in your life get shaken, you realize that the things down here on earth are temporary. That those are able to change in a moment, unlike your relationship with Jesus Christ. And so as these things get attacked in your life, as things leave your life, you find that there is one who will never leave. You'll find that Jesus sticks closer than a brother. That he is with you through all of these trials and it strengthens your faith. Because it shows you that through all the afflictions, you are never crushed and you are staying with Christ. Next, Paul goes and he says, perplexed but not driven to despair. And that is beautiful. That Paul, who planted many churches, Paul, who was like the super apostle, is able to say that there are moments where you are going to be perplexed, where you have many questions and not a lot of answers. And what will it be? When you go through life situations and you're looking around going, God, what are you doing in this situation? Why does my life not seem to make sense here? Paul says that the answer is faith in God. Again, the light of the gospel ignites our faith in God to say, I don't know everything that's going on in this situation. And that's okay, because here's what I do know. I know that God is still sovereign. He hasn't gotten off of his throne and walked away. He is worthy. He goes and he starts this work in us and he brings it through to completion. And so I don't have all the answers, but I do have some answers, and that is that he is sovereign and that he loves me. It would be enough for, for God to go and just say that he loves us because he's incapable of lying, but he doesn't just do that. Faith in God will also draw your eyes to the cross of Christ. And what you'll see there, friends, is that God the Father, although he's sovereign and mighty and powerful, he also loves you so intimately and so much that he's willing to give up his only son for you specifically. And so, yes, you go through these moments of questioning, going, I don't know, but I know God. And that is why Paul is able to say, you are perplexed, you are questioning, but you are never driven to despair. Because for us, are on the cross of Christ. Next, he says, we are persecuted but not forsaken. And what is great about this part is, is there's a lovely parallel here between how the world will treat you and how God the Father treats you. And that is that by the world, you are completely rejected because you look like Christ and you smell like Christ. But by God the Father, you are completely accepted. By the world, you are thrown outside because you're one of those weird Christians. But by God the Father, you are drawn in not just into his kingdom, but you're drawn into his own family. And it didn't come easily. It cost him his own son's life, and he made that decision because he loves you. You're persecuted, but you are never forsaken. And if the world should get worse and worse, and if they should mock you and spit upon you and reject you and throw you outside of the city, just remember that that's what they did to Jesus. And if worse comes to the worst, and they end up killing you, remember that for every person who knows Jesus and who's filled with the Holy Spirit, that same Holy Spirit raised Jesus up from the dead and he will raise us up from the dead as well. And we are going to live gloriously. We are raised and judged by the person who's also our Heavenly Father. And so you can be persecuted. You will never be forsaken. You will never be ripped out of the hands of God. Lastly, Paul says, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul is, is not just using a literary device here. He's not just using fancy words to make it sound really bad. Paul went through a tremendous amount of persecution in his life for preaching the gospel. And so when Paul goes and he says, struck down, he would have known exactly what that felt like. Paul would have actually been physically struck down to the point where he can't stand. And what does he say? What is the thing that he holds on to here? Is he says, but not destroyed. Destroyed carries with it this element of a finality of a situation. He says, your life, Christian, is not going to be destroyed. You may feel like you are struck down. You may indeed be struck down just as he was. But the final chapter in your story has already been written by God. And if your faith and your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been living for him, here's a brief glimpse of what your final story looks like. Your final story looks like you leaving this fallen creation and entering into heaven to the sound of many angels applauding, not necessarily just for us, but for saying that, God, you are able to save even price. And as you walk in, you hear God the Father saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, son, daughter, enter into the joy of your master. That's is your final chapter, Christian. It is glorious, it is beautiful, and that is what you get to look forward to. And so when these moments come, when you feel like you are persecuted, when you feel like you are struck down, Paul wants to remind us here, you are not destroyed. Your final chapter looks very different from everybody else's. So as I wrap up this morning, I want to remind you of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. See, this God who first shines the light of the gospel into your heart doesn't just walk away and leave you to figure things out. He continues watching over you with much love and patience. As things go on in life and things get difficult, he supplies more grace to meet you in your needs. And he has promised that he will make sure that he completes his work in you when you stand before him face to face. It might only be partially here, but it will be fully when you stand before him in heaven one day. And there are are two groups of people that I would like to address this morning. The first one is maybe you're hearing his promises and you don't actually yet know the Lord Jesus as your, your savior. Be encouraged that his arms are always open to you. He wants to walk with you. You can see his promises. You can see how God has always walked with his people, how he has never forsaken them. And that can be you as well. You can walk with Christ. You can be saved for all of eternity. But the other group of of people are those of you who know Jesus. You know that what I've been speaking about this morning is true because you've experienced him in your own life. I want to encourage you, don't ever drift away. Keep walking the road with Christ. Through the the hardships and the difficulties, look at what your final chapter is and be encouraged that this light of the gospel will continue leading you, not just into some earthly promised land, but into an eternal promised land that is going to last forever. Let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you for all that you have done for us in sending Jesus Christ to die on that cross. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've created new hearts within us. Lord, for the way that it reflects your original creation and the way that you now gloriously create images of yourself within this world to be ambassadors for you. Lord, I pray that we as a church would have many ambassadors who are filled with your Holy Spirit and shaped into the image of Christ. We ask this in your name. Amen.